Hey there, friends, and welcome to episode 212 of Just the Zoo of Us. This week, in celebration of World Lemur Day, I am joined by a professor of anthropology for a look up into the treetops of northern Madagascar to review crowned lemurs. Our guest brings his insight from experience studying these charismatic primates to discuss topics like the rainforest dress code, what your cell phone has in common with lemur cognition, and the unbreakable interspecies bonds between primates that remind us humans of our own place in nature. Just the Zoo of Us presents Crowned Lemurs with Ben Freed. Weatherford. I'm here with Just the Zoo of Us, your favorite animal review podcast. And this week I have a new friend. I'm so excited to be speaking with Ben Freed. Say hi, Ben. Hi, Ben. Oh, come on. (laughs) (laughs) How dare you? (laughs) You told me. I'm so excited to be talking about our really cool animal for this week. We're going to be talking about a really cool, very charismatic and fun primate. Before we talk about lemurs, I'd like for our friends listening at home to get to know you a little bit, Ben. Let our friends listening know what kind of work you do with our little tree-dwelling friends. Well, actually, I'm a professor in anthropology over at Eastern Kentucky University, and I do a lot of teaching over here. But uh, when I get to do my research, it's in Madagascar. I've started studying crowned lemurs a long time ago, but I did actually do work in Madagascar starting in, what, 1989 and periodically gone back to Madagascar in the same area. I'm just stuck on the far north of Madagascar where the crown lemurs are. They're just completely fascinating. And I will honestly say, if we're going to be talking about crown lemurs, then we also have to talk about the other members of the family that are there, the Sanford's lemurs too. But that's, you know, a little of where I am. And what do I study with them? Just about everything. Their diet, their ecology, their social structure, their social organization. And of course, course their conservation you know honestly as an anthropologist we study humans and close relatives and it's really interesting to see the interaction between humans in the area along with the lemurs in the area it's just utterly fascinating and you know it continues to drive me to get back over to madagascar and to study more of it so that's a little of what i do That sounds amazing. If you're going to be continually compelled to go back to the same place, Northern Madagascar is like, that's, you couldn't do a lot better than that. Like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, Madagascar is this really large island, you know, fourth or fifth largest island in the world, right? And way up in the far north, in the northern tip of the island, is where you get the crowned lemurs and the Sanford's lemurs in only, you know, a handful of forests. And the people local to the area are just wonderful. They are family. They really are. And as I've grown into the position, you know, (laughs) keep going over, it's like people who were little kids at the time are now parents themselves. So and it's just long lasting relationships with people over there. And it's, it's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. You mentioned that you're a professor of anthropology, which for people who are maybe unfamiliar with the field is the study of humans. And for people who are maybe not entirely familiar with lemurs either, they may be curious about what the connection is between studying humans and lemurs. Where do those two fall in relation to each other in the sort of family tree? Yeah, so we are all primates. Uh, It's one large grouping of mammals, right? That we all share a lot of things in common. What's especially fascinating to me about primates as a whole order of mammals is our reliance on learned behavior and the amount that we have to devote to that process of learning and developing. And 
when you think about it, humans take a long time to develop and grow and learn different things, right? And it's the same sort of thing with just about all primates. Primates live in social groups that include at least one adult male. And there are so many aspects of questions that come out of that, especially like what's the effect of the environment or the availability of resources on how we adapt to changes in our environment. That's a fascinating question for me. And, you know, when you start looking at them and trying to understand what are you doing, you can't help but anthropomorphize sometimes. But there are lots of things where I wonder if I'm observing them as much as they are observing me. Oh, for sure. And I think, at least in the United States, sometimes we get a little caught up on primates uh, versus humans and that sort of thing. Where we are in northern Madagascar, it's really interesting because a lot of people don't use the term animal in regard to these lemurs. They actually refer to themselves as farmers, rice farmers in particular, and with some of these lemurs, they also use the same word, but tree farmers. That's the guys that live up in the trees. <laughs> well, they're the ones that harvest and that disperse the seeds. And mm. so the lemurs are uh, an integral part of the environment that the humans live in. Those are just our neighbors. In actuality, yeah, that's precisely it. And, and I think that that's really fascinating in terms of, you know, future conservation work, too. But that's the connection between non-human primates and primates in this particular region. Um, if I go maybe 20 kilometers in another area, well, it could be different. But we've been really lucky where we are. I've worked in a forest called uh, Mont Dombre, Amber Mountain, which is a fascinating. It's a mosaic of forests. Uh, it's got rainforests. It's got drier areas. It, it's a national park. It's really where I did my dissertation work, my doctoral work for about three years. I lived in a rainforest, essentially, you know, in a tent and that sort of thing. And that always surprises the students. They, you know, imagine me, button-down shirt and the whole thing, right? Oh, no, no, I'm living in a tent. I imagine you're rocking some nice uh, business casual in the <laughs> rainforest of Madagascar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wonder what the lemurs think of me uh, dressed up in. But no. you got khakis on out there. <laughs> oh, you know, I've got whatever I, you know, whatever sort of hiking pants I can get uh, get on. So, but the whole point here is that I think you know, in anthropology in particular, the relationship of how humans interact with the environment is also one of those cultural aspects that's really fascinating to me too. So it's not just the biological thing looking across species at different aspects of behavior and environment, but I also think the cultural aspects, looking at human culture and how humans interact with the environment has an effect as well. As other anthropologists have pointed out, humans are a part of the environment for these lemurs. Yeah, we have a tendency to not really want to confront that. We like to think of ourselves as like, oh, that's not, we're different. No, we're part of nature as well. So I think that there are really fascinating aspects about both of those things. And I think for people here in the United States, I will just say, honestly, you know, when you go to parties, right? It's like, what do you do for a living? Oh, I study lemurs in Madagascar. You, <laughs> you would know. immediately be... That's the rest of my evening right there. Like, we're best friends. <laughs> right. And immediately they come up with visions of, I want to move it, move it, and that sort of thing. <laughs> you know, ringtail lemurs and that sort of thing. But, but no, I tell them I studied crown lemurs and Sanford's lemurs. And they're like, I didn't know there was anything else other than ringtail lemurs. And so giving people an appreciation for the diversity of these highly endangered species becomes the focus of the discussion. And so, you know, we take advantage of any opportunity to just talk about the lemurs and people oftentimes wonder, you know, why do you come over? And as soon as I start telling them, it's like, you know, I want to learn from them. Like when I, I get asked by a local person, like, what are we supposed to do now? You know, we're trying to follow the lemurs and where did they go? And like, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I know I'm a professor, but you know, when we're studying them, they're the professors, we're the students. Well, this is a great opportunity to do that. I think this is the the floor is yours today. <laughs> we're talking all about these lemurs that, like you said, 
probably not like the most mainstream, a little bit of a deeper cut than your ring-tailed lemur or your, you know, shifaka or something that, if you're my age, you know right. the shifaka from Zabumafu. Right, and I'm glad you said shifaka. So there you go. We've talked about them on the show before, and so there have been some PR wins for lemurs, but for people who are listening to this and are like, huh, what is a crowned lemur? Could you introduce us a little bit? Yeah, one of the first questions people have always asked me is, how'd you get involved in it? And it was actually as an undergraduate uh, at Duke University. Oh, with the Lemur Center. Yeah, I was a computer science major, and they actually structured the major so that you had to take like five advanced courses in another discipline. And I chose anthropology, honestly, because they shared the same building with computer <laughs> science. <laughs> but one thing led to another, and it was like, you know, this is pretty interesting stuff. And then I went to the Lemur Center, and I'm like, yeah, this is pretty interesting stuff, and I don't know what it is about the crowns in particular, but I started in with the crowned lemurs as an undergraduate. There was a manager over there, uh, I want to say it was Michael Stewart, who introduced me to the different lemurs over there, and there was this uh, pairing of uh, crowned lemurs. Uh, they were given uh, Egyptian names, I think, Ra Nefertiti. Oh, that's beautiful. Oh, yeah. And they had a son, Serapis. And I just immediately became fascinated with their behaviors. And the crown lemurs, you know, the males are rusty in color with a little black cap, and the females are uh, gray, white bellies, and uh, a little red tiara, as I like to <gasps> explain it, right? A tiara! Everybody says it's the males with the crowns, right? <laughs> it's the females with the crowns. She's the real queen. <laughs> yeah. You know, I started learning how to record behaviors over there, and it's really interesting stuff. They weigh about maybe about two and a half pounds. Adults, full grown. A cat size. Smaller. Smaller, practically. <laughs> yeah. And I immediately became fascinated with them. There's so many different sorts of behaviors that I'd never seen before. And the thing about the folks at Duke, or the then it was called the Primate Center, was that it was also a place where you met other students and other grad students and other researchers. And it was like a complete family. Everybody was fascinated by it. And so I met up with uh, graduate students at the time, and one of them was like, you know, Linda Taylor, who became a professor over at University of Miami, Coral Gables, and Jörg Gonshorn over in Germany at Tübingen, and, and other people. And there's Pat Wright, who was a graduate student at the time. And there were always these conversations and wondering about behaviors. And it was just a conducive environment to learn, discuss, make mistakes, and try to take in things. And so I not only became fascinated with the crowns, but with other lemurs as well. But the crowns always came back to me because there was something I was learning from them, and I don't know what it was. And I continue to learn from them, and I still don't know what it is. Um, so, <laughs> and I think that's one of the things about studying nature. You always wind up with more questions than you started out with. And when Ra died, what was going to be Nefertiti's response? Response. And, mm. and that became interesting to me. Was she sad? Well, I think that there are some signs that we could probably clinically diagnose. Um, um. So, yeah, there are these changes that you see in various aspects of behavior. But, you know, I think that the fact of the matter is that there are so many aspects of the lemur's behavior that you want to understand and you can approach it and you can start to figure out some things about it but again as i said the great thing about science is that you always wind up with more questions and i don't know that people really appreciate that with science but it really is something that's absolutely fascinating that continues to drive me and and taking it from there you know learning about them in the wild i, I became fascinated by the work of bob sussman and i wound up studying under him over at WashU in St. Louis. And he studied green-tailed lemurs and brown lemurs in southern Madagascar. And his questions that he was studying, how can you have two species that are so similar, live in the same environment without competing to the point of exclususion from the area, right? Mm. And I thought that was a great question because... 
here we have the same situation up in the north. So yeah, I wound up studying a very similar kind of question up there, and only this time it was the Crowns and the Sanfords. And the Sanfords are very closely related to some of the brown lemurs that you see in other areas, red-fronteds, rufous lemurs, brown lemurs, and so forth. Females are slate gray face with brown bodies, and the males um, have brown bodies, blackish faces, and poofy hairdos. <laughs> and I'm not kidding. I that's love the, that. That's the best description. And you can tell each individual apart without any issue, just like you can with the crowns, because they're different colorations according to sex so when i got to madagascar yeah i'm working with two different study groups of each species and i could tell each individual apart because they live in relatively smaller groups of about three to eight individuals we could tell individuals without even you know putting a collar on them you're walking through the rainforest like yeah that's jeff yeah hey bud And all the crown lemurs we refer to with uh, Russian and sort of sounding names and that sort of mm. thing. So, so yeah, yeah, we had Tatiana and um, <sighs> uh, Vera and, and other ones. And on the other side, we had Ivan the Beautiful. They're all the beautiful. And, and, <laughs> and actually, uh, Yevgeny Yevtushenko is a poet. And so we've got Yevgeny in there, too. So we had that going on. And meanwhile, the same. Sanfords also share the same habitat, the same home range, practically, like 90% overlap in their the area where they concentrate the most, the core area. And so the Sanfords were right in the same location. Uh, we gave them BBC World Service uh, names, you know, our favorite announcers from, you know, shortwave radio. That was back then, folks. <laughs> Remember then a time when there was no such thing as a cell phone. Right. (laughs) So the crowns live there and so do the Sanfords and they know each other. Sometimes they, you know, their nearest neighbor is a member of the other species. So they have to rely on each other at certain times and they'll look for each other. They respond to each other's calls. That aspect of this sort of cooperation between the two became really fascinating to me. So I started studying a little of that. And that is that like a unique dynamic between species? Well, at the time, maybe we thought it was, but there are other populations of lemurs, especially, that actually do have this sort of association. We see it especially in with um, monkeys over in Africa, the group of monkeys known as the Gwenons, the Sarcopithecus genus. Oftentimes you find them living in, you know, four or five species in the same area, like in the same tree, practically. And they're just like cool with each other. Well, it's cool. And then here comes the fun part. They all can respond to each other's alarm calls or their vocalizations. How do they do it? How do they learn another set of vocalizations? Which gets to a real good question in anthropology, like how do you learn language? And even though it may not seem to be the same thing, your life depends on your ability to understand those vocalizations. So again, we get to this whole notion of uh, we're primates. We spend a lot of time learning. You better learn those calls. <laughs> and also like, well, those guys are exchanging information that is just as relevant to me. I will benefit from that information. So if I can figure out yeah. what they're talking about. <laughs> and, yeah, and the crowns generally, I mean, they're all highly arboreal. They're tree dwellers, okay? And most of the diet for both the crowns and the Sanfords, fruit, okay? Sanfords are a little higher up in the rainforest than the crowns are, at least in Montdomber. But during the season when the resources are at their least, and in the case of Montdomber, of Amber Mountain, that was rainy season. Because for like nine months of the year, there's this one tree that is covered in fruit but for those three months where am i going to get so this is what happens you know the crowns are searching around a little bit lower in the forest the sanfords are a little bit higher but if the crowns see the sanfords and the sanfords are eating crowns go and join them and it's vice versa sanfords are patrolling their area their area concentration oh we're overlapping with the crowns oh they're eating too bam we'll go down there and so there is that bit of give and take from both of them that's some of the fun stuff about looking at these primates i don't know that you know it's something unique to the crowns or the sanfords 
but it is an interesting thing about how they live their day-to-day lives and that's what fascinates me and i don't have an answer and there's some (laughs) days when i'm out in the field and i'm like why are you doing this to me (laughs) right like why can't you just be normal just be simple (laughs) just be simple yeah be boring no no. No. (laughs) and then you follow them and you sometimes see the crowns actually forming these little subgroups and sometimes the subgroups are way far apart from each other gossiping maybe just (laughs) i'm with a preferred individual you know Mm. we're we're eating (laughs) on fruit but eventually, we'll come back together in our, our larger group. And, and so that's another aspect of the crowns that I did not expect. And I've just got to say, it's so hard to follow them sometimes. I also now work at a much different kind of forest, a smaller forest fragment that's by a river in a dry area. So it's not like that continuous big forest like Montdomber. It's a real dinky little set of woods. And the crowns and the Sanfords are still interacting there. I want to say that maybe they all respond to each other in a way that, you know, they all benefit from the presence of each other. I want to say that. Do I know it for sure? No. I've only observed them during one season of the year. Hopefully I'll get to go back during the full year, right? But at the same time, we see a lot of similarities in both locations. And then there's like a little wrinkle. And (laughs) there you go. More research needs to be done. That's our science. That's the exciting part, though, because then that's like, yeah. well, there's a new question to answer. It's never maybe for some people it might be frustrating that like you never get a complete, like perfect encapsulated answer. But that's a, that's a new thing you can learn. Right. Exactly. Hey, y'all, we're going to take a quick break to hear from a couple of our friends on the Maximum Fun Network. When we get back, we are digging into our ratings for crowned lemurs. So stay with us. Hi, I'm Ketchup. And I'm Socks. And I'm Ball Bearings. And I'm Pigeons. And I'm Water Towers. And I'm Cardboard. Surprise! We're actually humans. Humans making a podcast about those kinds of topics. Because those are real episode topics on the podcast, Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. That's a podcast where we take ordinary seeming things like ketchup and socks and cardboard and bring you the little known history and science and stories that make those things secretly incredibly fascinating. Secretly incredibly fascinating. The title of the podcast. Hear the back catalog anytime and hear new amazing episodes every Monday at MaximumFun.org. It's the final week of Co-Optober. I'm Richard Roby, producer, and I'm here with... KT Wigman, operations specialist. To cap off National Co-Op Month, we're sharing how worker-owned co-ops can benefit their communities. Read about it in our newsletter or on social media at MaxFunHQ. We're also trying to do our part. We're volunteering at our local food bank this week, and we encourage you to volunteer in your area, too. On Friday, we're announcing the donation that you helped raise in the Postmax Fund Drive sticker sale, going to five food banks across the U.S. And we want to make sure that you know this is your last chance to get our limited edition Launch Crew merch. Grab a pin, hat, shirt, or hoodie before they disappear at the end of the month. Details on merch, resources for volunteering, and all things Co-Optober can be found at MaximumFun.org slash Co-Optober. That's C-O-O-P-T-O-B-E-R. Thank you so much for your support and a great Co-Optober. So if this is anyone's first time listening to this particular podcast, what we do is review animals by rating them out of 10 in different categories. The first one is effectiveness. This is physical adaptations, things built into the animal's body that let it do a good job of the things it's trying to do. How well is it adapted to their ecosystem, to their place in the world? Um, Anything that's just kind of built into their body that lets them do these things. What do you give crowned lemurs out of 10 for effectiveness? Oh, man. I don't know. (laughs) I mean, honestly, in terms of their bodies and all that sort of stuff, I'll give them a 7-8, okay? Okay, okay. I'll give them a 7-8, and here's the effectiveness part, okay? When you're trying to find them and they're trying to hide, you can't find them. Oh, I bet. You know, it's like, okay, gray might blend in. Red also blends in really well. And in dense cover, occasionally you'll see like, oh, 
there's some eyes there. So <laughs> in terms of their ability to hide from potential predators or whatever, mm. oh, yeah. That, yeah, that's the biggie. Otherwise, they're your standard lemur. <laughs> <laughs> what are they hiding from? Aside from you, personally. <laughs> well, in all fairness, I would say studying these crowned lemurs, most groups don't really care about, you know, us. They really don't. And that's a great sign. If they were, like, you know, wagging their tails, grunting and screaming at us, well, we wouldn't be studying them. Be a little stressful. Well, more importantly, it might be an indication of potential hunting in the area, too. Mm. You know, why are you doing that to humans when humans are around? Okay, that would be bad. But for the most part, they're habituated. They assume normal behaviors, usually within, you know, a couple minutes. And that's the great thing about them. It's like, wow. We have the honor of actually studying you, and you don't care about it. And you don't mind our presence over here. That's cool. That's an honor. Like a, like a Disney princess moment. It really of is. Like, I am, <laughs> I've gained the approval of the lemurs. They're cool I have with gained me. their approval. They find us no problem. Go ahead, do your thing. Just let us do our thing. And that's how I can actually take an undergraduate who may never have traveled outside the country and have them actually start studying them within, you know, a day. Because the lemurs are habituated. What kind of predators would they normally be up against in Madagascar? So most people would probably say something like there's a carnivorin over there called a fusa, right? Mm. And I think somebody has described it once as like a weasel on steroids um <laughs> something like that it's not a cat it's not a dog it's not a canid it's not a felid right it's more like you know mongoose like sort of thing no it's not a mongoose no not there a mongoose are, <laughs> no, there are ring-tailed mongooses over there too but they're not gonna take down the lemur but it takes a lot for the fusas to go after and try to grab a, a lemur but there's also easier food for the fusas to get at where we are so i don't know that they're really big predators you know and there's some forests where i'm sure humans will trap lemurs i have not really seen a whole lot of traps in montdomber i you know in amber mountain no not in our field site area, not at all, uh, at least when I was doing the study. And even at the new site, which is officially called Anala Bay, which means big forest, but Ooh. it's a real tiny forest. It's like, <laughs> it should be in Malagasy, Anala Kili, which is small forest. But, you know, I think that if you just think of the fusas and maybe some humans in some locations, yeah, those would be it. There are Malagasy fish eagles, but wow. fish eagles don't really go for, you know, lemurs. I feel like they'd be going for fish, maybe. Shh. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, but if there was a bird, you know, sort of circling, yeah, lemurs would give an alarm call for sure. And the great thing is if there is a predator and if you have a lot of groups overlapping, then as soon as one gives an alarm call, everybody alerts. And it's both the Crowns and the Sanfords together. So if you're a Crown Lemur and a Sanfords Lemur gives a call, you're going to do the same thing too. It feels like to me that it seems like for lemurs, as with, with a lot of primates, some of the most like incredible and compelling and fascinating things about them are like you mentioned, the things that really caught your attention about them, their behaviors, right? Things that they're doing. So the next category that we rate animals on is ingenuity. These are behavioral adaptations. Like how good is this animal at solving problems that they face and figuring things out? So what would you give crown lemurs out of 10 for ingenuity? Ten times a thousand, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, it's just what I've been looking at all my life. It's only your thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. And I can't separate the crowns from the Sanfords on this one. They're both way above me, and mm -hmm. uh, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, it was really odd, too, because I, I remember vividly one time I was studying in the Amber Mountain, and I'm following my study group, and it's towards the end of the day, and I'm still studying them, and, and then all of a sudden I hear a... Oh? <laughs> you know, the clicks going on, right? And I'm like, okay, what are you guys doing at that? And then they're like... Oh, 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 oh,
and the tails are going and the whole bit. By the way, that I, I can do a better crown lemur vocalization, but it's sort of like that, right? And their vocalizations can carry a long distance. And that, that also figures into a lot of folklore about them, too. But they're doing this right now in front of me. And I'm like, what are you doing? Come on. Why? And then I swear, behind me, charging at me, is this wild boar. Oh, no. Yeah, and I just... They were trying to tell you. <laughs> and I turn around and I just stamp my foot down because I'm like, no, I'm not going to die this way. Okay? <laughs> right? And I swear the boar just turned around, ran off in the other directions. Oh, and then the lemur stopped their vocalization. So They were trying to tell you. They were like, bro, right. <laughs> turn around. <laughs> right. Exactly. And then and there are the times when you... Okay, so over in Analakali, the the news site, I'm watching this one group, and I know each individual. We sort of named them after pop stars and things (gasps) like that, right? So I'm watching the group, and it's got Adele in it. It's got Sarah B in there, right? And there's also (laughs) Flo. So we sort of nicknamed the group the machine, but, uh, you know, Flo one day is with the machine and then leaves the group and joins up with another group, which we sort of call insane crowned posse. Okay. Oh and, my God, not insane yeah. crowned posse. Yeah. And they were, they were their own group, right? And why is Flo joining up with them? We don't know. And then the next day, Flo is back with the machine, and we have no idea why. And then, sure enough, later on in the day, goes to the other group. And eventually, the next year when we go in, Flo is with the other group. So how do individuals figure out which groups they're going to go to and leave and under what circumstances? There must be some, you know, individual situations going on. I don't know if it's to their advantage. Sometimes the males leave the group. Sometimes the females leave the group. Sometimes a female and a, a kid will leave the group. And I don't know why, but there's some really interesting studies in other primates that suggest some things, but I don't understand it. They've got a group text that we're just not in. No, it's that complexity of social behavior that goes on that is just absolutely through the roof on your on your numbering scale. So that's oh, why yeah. I'm, that's <laughs> why I'm going with 10 to whatever power you want. You mentioned that, you know, something that is important to them is also like learned behavior, something that, you know, they might be able to see either other members of their own species, other members of another species, see somebody else doing something and be like, that seems like a good idea. I'm going to try that. Is this something that you got to see for yourself? I would say that, you know, in terms of learned behavior, every day you are relying on things, right? With humans, you know, let's just face facts. If you've got a cell phone, right, you're relying on it for what? You're relying on it for contact, communication, a calendar, you know, some sort of a locator. But the thing is, the lemurs, in terms of their learning, are doing all of that. So in terms of a calendar function, what do we mean by that? Well, if your life depends on knowing where the fruit is and when it's available and when it's ripe, Mm. then you have to learn, one, how do I get there? Two, if it's available. Three, if it's ripe enough for me. And then other critical aspects like, yeah, it's a long distance away. How am I going to budget my time accordingly? That's Google Maps, baby. They got Google Maps up here. (laughs) There you go. And it's honestly the way they get to the things as well. It's sort of like public transportation. You got a main route and then you branch off at certain terminals. And I tend to think that that's what's going on with them. I don't know for sure, but they're having to use their minds to perform all of these tasks. And then you toss in predator calls and other vocalizations and other sensory objects coming in. You know, hey, there are birds over here. What kind of birds? Uh, Vocalizations. Okay. You know, and you've got to be able to track the trees. When are they going to be in fruit? I mean, we sort of do that if we follow the farmer's markets. We know at certain times of the years you're going to go for certain food items and then it's going to expire and you go to something else. If you go to a supermarket, it's a little different. But if you follow the farmer's markets, it's sort of the same thing. 
you're gonna have to shift your diet accordingly and sometimes you have to fall back on a food species that you don't particularly you know it's not a high prized item but you're gonna eat it anyway and and the crowns and the sanfords do that sort of thing too so there are all sorts of levels of complexity in terms of what they're doing for their diet how they're dealing with life socially there's a lot to learn it sounds like they have the entire google suite in their brain they've got you got Maybe. google calendar google yep. maps yep. gmail <laughs> they got everything up here yeah pretty much next year's iphone is just gonna be a lemur <laughs> yeah there you go so these are incredibly brilliant animals and it helps i think a lot especially when you're talking about conservation for an animal when they're cute when we like them when we're like oh sweet and fluffy so the last category that we rate animals on is aesthetics just how nice is this animal to look at you mentioned a little bit that this one really caught your eye when you were studying different types of primates so what do you give crowned lemurs out of 10 for aesthetics okay so in all fairness i'm very prejudiced that's fine i'm I'm (laughs) biased (laughs) here i am completely biased i mean they they've changed my life right you know and when they get into the little sit curl position you know it it, it dial up the cute factor yeah okay fine they also have this really interesting sort of behavior you know after they're in this little position where they're sitting and their tails curled up and then they sort of just grab out to the next individual and they pull (gasps) close together I mean, it, it's... That's the movie theater date move. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Do they do a little yawn, a little fake yawn first and then... No, 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 no. <laughs> they just get to it, you know? But then, but then when they're waking up, they do something uh, also that's really interesting because first time of the day, you got to groom each other. And what's really interesting, you know, all lemurs have these things called tooth combs literally the lower front teeth project out they're very thin and it looks like a comb and they use that to rake through their fur right but the crowns do something that's kind of interesting with it and i think it's the lemur conservation network folks who have this little emblem for world lemur day this year with two crown lemurs and it looks like they're kissing right (laughs) and i'm not kidding it really does look like that so it's like you know here's this male with this female and you've got to really trust another individual to groom your face if all you have is this tooth comb over here and so they really do this you know very intensely right and lemurs have this sort of sublingua okay a sub tongue right and it sort of helps get the fur out of the tooth comb or whatever but as they do it it's sort of like like that right (laughs) and the other individual does that as well at the same time so it really looks like they're kissing they're getting into it (laughs) It's, it's i mean i think that's what the folks at uh, LCN we're, we're doing with their little insignia for the Nemer Day. And, and it is, yeah, it's way out there for sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, charismatic, yeah. And, and look, in all fairness, the term charismatic, I think, sometimes gets applied, sometimes to the detriment of other species. And we've always been cognizant of that, especially with the Sanfords, because the Sanford males are incredible with their hairstyles and and that sort of thing. This one has a part. This one has semicircles. <laughs> and this one has large you know, fluffs. Some don't. They're close crop. And, you know, the Sanfords are just as valuable in terms of, you know, just as charismatic, I should say. In a lot of respects, it's just that sometimes maybe our own cultural biases suggest, okay, they are. They aren't. I don't know. For us, when we're studying them, I've got to say the Sanfords are just awesome. They really are. And I don't know that they get a whole lot of attention. You know, actually, when I got to the capital city, as far as finding little lemur stuff to bring home right it's always ringtail lemurs right or shafax sure. right mm-hmm. all of a sudden i see this in antananarivo and it's a oh. female crowned lemur right oh it's a bag with an embroidered 
crowned lemur on it. It says save the lemurs on it, right? And so you can actually get little mementos and things like that with the crowns, for sure. But in all of the big city up in the north where they're found, you can't find a single thing with the Sanfords on it. And honestly, you can't find a whole lot with the crowns. It's always ringtails or shafox and that sort of thing. It's like when you like a really obscure band and you can never find merch for them. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But the sad thing is that, you know, we're talking about endangered species. Right. And the fact that one is maybe more flamboyant in its coloration than another shouldn't really be entering into the decision that this is, you know, more charismatic than the other. Honestly, when my wife joined me for the last six months of, you know, the dissertation work, we loved following lemurs for sure. But I got to tell you, those Sanfords were just awesome. (laughs) They were awesome. And then here comes the crown day and it's like, okay, we're going to be, we're going to be running around. We're going to separate and all this sort of thing. And and then it's Sanford day. Yay. You know? So for me, if I say the crowns are 10 to the 20th power, Sanfords are just as much. You cannot really talk about the crowns without talking about the Sanfords. I love that these two species are just hand in hand. Just paw in adorable little paw. <laughs> I mean, honestly, we were so completely surprised when we found this one little dinky little forest. And here are these crowns and here are these Sanfords and multiple groups of them. And it's like, what are you guys doing here? There's a much better forest somewhere else. We can show you where, right? And they just do their thing. But my friend's here. Yeah. And, you know, the local people all know the lemurs are there. And, well, okay, here's this foreigner who's come over here to study them. Why? And that leads into wonderful discussions, too. I mean, there's so much out there in Madagascar that, you know, can be studied. I think the biggest thing is this appreciation we have for the local people and how they, you know, how they interact with their environment. And it's something that has to be looked at because oftentimes we think we're going to educate people. And honestly, it's much the opposite. We can learn so much from local people and exchange information with local people. It's a learn-learn situation and it's a win-win situation when we're over there and we're learning from from them and we're also learning from the lemurs over there too. That's the beauty of Madagascar. It's absolutely one of the most incredible places on earth. And the way I like to put it is I was born and raised in New Jersey, right? I consider that home. I, I got married in Durham, North Carolina, and that's home too. Became a parent in St. Louis. That's home too. And then there's Madagascar, and there's this rainforest, and it's it's given me so much of my life. That's where your heart is. <laughs> that's it. You know, we develop lifelong relationships with people and with the forest, and it's really the most awesome thing about Madagascar is this overall feeling of it's this island, it's special, it's got so much going on. And of course, we want to prevent deforestation and things like that. But amidst all of that, you got these really oddball primates. <laughs> Humans. Just icing on top. That's Sanfords, just cool. <laughs> crowns, we're all there. why are we doing it we don't know but enjoy it while we can and hopefully with local conservation efforts uh, local groups in particular maybe there is a lot to offer for the future and that's what i prefer to concentrate on are there dangers yeah absolutely but at the same time, there are local groups that are really interesting. The local town outside of where I worked for my doctoral work outside of Montdomber is doing their best to try to do something for the forest. 
there's a local group up a little bit further north called the Babaumbi Nature Conservation, and they're doing fantastic work with local populations and crown lemurs and tourism as well. So there are lots of these stories. And, and even the local university of Ansaraninov, Diego, has an English uh, program and a foreign language program and so forth. And they concentrate on how it relates to, you know, ecotourism and things like that. So there are lots of those really interesting things going on there uh, with local, the Malagasy over there, who are absolutely doing the right thing. And it's absolutely wonderful to know these people. They're fantastic. They're absolutely fantastic. Like you mentioned, you know, conservation involves just as much the people as the wildlife and the, I mean, we like to think of ourselves as not being like part of the wildlife, but like, we're just as much in it as they are. So it takes everybody. It's a group effort. Yep, absolutely. I had come to be connected with you through the Lemur Conservation Network, who does a lot of that work on the ground in Madagascar to protect the lemurs being kind of the face of the operation, right? Like, (laughs) it's really not just about the lemurs specifically. It's more about protecting the land and, and making sure that the people that live there are supported in their efforts to protect their land and, and take care of wildlife there. And because this whole episode is sort of in celebration of World Lemur Day, which is the effort of the Lemur Conservation Network, I would love to uh, let our listeners know where, if you have any projects that are going on right now, anything that you want people to be particularly aware of, like anything that you want to leave people with for the day. Yeah. Well, I mean, when I try to do studies of lemurs, I try to keep it very low profile simply because I, I work better in that sort of situation and a lot of local people do uh, prefer that too. And I actually prefer to talk about some of the work that local people are doing. And uh, I mentioned to uh, the Baba Wimby Nature Conservation Group uh, outside of uh, Ansaranana is just a wonderful group, a group of former students from the local university who were mentored uh, from uh, not only, you know, people over there, but also the incredible work by the Canadian University of Western Ontario. I've done a lot of outreach to uh, the folks to get them going and to help them as they put together this uh, conservation group. So that's wonderful. And, and likewise, there's also a, a lot of work at a site outside of a, a forest called Ankarana. There's work, again, the Canadians uh, at Western Ontario have also been uh, working on, and kudos to Andrew Walsh for all of his work over there for sure. But uh, the group over there is called Kofama. And they have been really interested in trying to get people to come to their site. Um, a little bit of ecotourism, but community run. And it's wonderful stuff that they're doing too. And even, you know, the little local groups, uh, like, uh, you know, outside of where I did work in Montdomber, over at a town called Biennamalo, local people getting together to try to protect that forest and try to monitor who's coming in and maybe people who shouldn't be coming in. These people are the ones who ultimately are doing the work to protect the area and who really deserve all the kudos. You know, it's just awesome what they do. And obviously, you know, Malagasy National Parks really in charge of these big protected areas, fantastic staff over there as well. And one other group, really, and it's the educators. The folks over at the University of Ansaranana who, you know, they train their students. What do they do? Do they go on to study the lemurs? Not really that much, but they're instilled with the values of conservation and biology and ecology and social studies and they also become the teachers. And they carry the message of conservation and of science, and they continue the education of kids who will have that value instilled. And those people, those teachers are just priceless. 
I've had the pleasure of working with several of the students who have eventually gone on to be the teachers, and they do an incredible amount of work, as teachers do. Um, <laughs> but you have to understand that those teachers are the ones who really can drive forth and make conservation efforts really work. Right. That's the future. It is. Yeah. And I, I hope that learning more about crown lemurs today and getting more insight into Madagascar, the landscape, what it's like there. I hope that people listening today will, like you said, like be instilled with those values and go forth and learn more with a sense of curiosity and a, a sense of like valuing nature. I will have links in the episode description to the different organizations that you mentioned where they can go and learn more about the work that they're doing in Madagascar, as well as the Lemur Conservation Network, where you can learn more about what's going on globally with that in celebration of World Lemur Day, which is when this episode is going up on Friday. Thank you so much for your time, Ben. This has been an absolute delight. Thank you so much for sharing with me. I love crowned lemurs now. <laughs> I can't say that I didn't before. I already did. But yeah. I, I feel like I know them better. And I appreciate your enthusiasm and your passion for them. I feel like comes through loud and clear. And don't forget the Sanford's lemurs, too. And the Sanford's lemurs. <laughs> the best friends. They're inseparable. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> My ride or die. <laughs> ben, thank you so much for your time. It's been a complete delight. We will talk to you later. Bye. Bye, folks. Thank you so much for listening, friends. I hope that you have joined the insane crown posse links to the conservation organizations that we mentioned during this episode, as well as the Lemur Conservation Network's website for more information about World Lemur Day will be in the episode description. If you liked what you heard, I hope you leave behind some kind words for us in a review on your podcast app of choice. We read them all the time. They make us really happy. Each one means a lot to us. If you want to hang out with us online, we're on Facebook, Instagram, Discord, and TikTok. Links to everything will be in the episode description. You can send me an email at ellen at justthezooofus.com if you have a cool animal you'd like to hear us talk about on the show. We'd like to thank Maximum Fun for having us on their network alongside their lineup of wonderful shows like the ones that you heard promos for earlier. You can check those out and learn more about the network and how you can be a part of supporting our show over at MaximumFun.org. Finally, we'd like to thank Louis Zong for our theme music. That's all for today. We'll see you next week. Thanks. Bye. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.